Welcome back to Flop Stars, the podcast where we explore albums that are close to our hearts but underperformed on the charts. This is a special episode for me. It's one that I've been trying to make Nick do for years and years. <laughs> and he's put up a fight the whole time. So this season I came up with a concept. What if I pick an album that I love that Nick doesn't so much? And what if he picks an album that he loves but I'm unfamiliar with? Here's one's going to come later on down the season. But I'm launching my episode today. This is my episode. I might even take you off the cover. My. <laughs> Catch ya. So this is Sam's flop stars on Lana Del Rey's Norman fucking Rockwell, which we might have to turn into Norman effing Rockwell for, um, for I guess, social media purposes so that we don't cuss yep. throughout the whole podcast. But welcome Nick Kelly, my co-host, who thank you for being here. Thank you for doing this for me. <laughs> Yeah, if this episode is not only from an artist that I have not really been the biggest fan of over the journey, but it also gets me shadow banned from TikTok, then that'll be the, that'll be the end of me. <laughs> that'll be the end of me. I did get shadow banned from TikTok the other night. I got I got I got um, a community violation for what for for posting that TikTok I did about Steve Lacey tickets, where that girl was like. Screw all the under 18s that got tickets to Steve Lacey, and I was like, "Music's for everyone." And I got sh- I got Why? I got banned for that. Why? Don't know. I reported it. I disputed it, and they they let me back on TikTok. So that's all good. Someone must have reported you. Some people don't want under 18s at shows, so they just reported you. I am a fan of just reporting content that you don't agree with. <laughs> <laughs> We're already distracted. You can follow us on uh, TikTok at Flopstars Podcast where we put up clips from the show. But yeah. Let's press on. Norman effing Rockwell. Lana Del Rey's fifth album, maybe? Anyway. Well, <laughs> hey, you should know it. It's your favourite. <laughs> anyway, an album in Lana Del Rey's discography. Quite a turning point for her. The first record that she worked on with Jack Antonoff, who had obviously worked with Lord Pryor and has since gone on to work with Every Man and Their Dog and the 1975. And um, <laughs> it was a bit of a turning point for Lana because... It really saw her veer away from anything that was kind of commercially viable. She's never been the most commercially Mm. viable artist um, by pure fact that she likes to do whatever she wants to do. Um, And that oftentimes is something that nobody relates to. Uh, But this time she really went heavy into a singer-songwriter sound. Uh, Surf rock is kind of the umbrella vibe she went under, but then it trickled down into blues balladry there's some pop on there it's just lana following her heart in the truest form and it is a wild listen some of her best songwriting work i think some of her best lyrics beautiful production by jack antonoff and a record that really captures where the world is at that time pre-covid in the middle of donald trump's presidency um kanye west is is blonde and gone, as she says on The Greatest. Mm. So it's it's definitely a period <laughs> of change that she captures by refle- by responding to it in a personal way, I guess. But I'm going to stop banging on about it because I'm dying to know how your first listen of Norman Epping Rockwell went. 
It was really nice to hear you talk about the context of it, though, because I think if there's one thing that Lana Del Rey does, it she talks about the American human condition in yeah. a very one-of-a-kind way and in a way that I only think she can do. And I'm fascinated by her brain always. I'm fascinated by the way she sees the world and the way that she writes and talks about it. Um, and going into this album, and I want to I want to address why you know what we've talked about with with my you know. She's just not one of my favourites. She's just not Which, up there for me. Sorry, can I, I, find I just the butt dr- in and dr- say that you are not alone in that? Yeah. It's a very common opinion. Mm. She falls on the wrong side of um, opinion for a lot of listeners for similar reasons that you have. I've often found with Lana the grandiosity and the dramatisation of everything and the, the, the not knowing what's real and what's not. Yeah. I don't really... That's not really my flavour of, of music. My flavour is the super hard on sleeve, super authentic, real human experiences kind of stuff, less than more like observational and storytelling based stuff. Yeah. I think that's where it happens. And I think for Lana, she almost epitomises doing that kind of music. And she does that in a very amazing way. And I, I see fans of hers, you know, I, I see, I still remember a night, I think it was before Splendour in the Grass and one of her albums. Was it this album that had just come out or maybe the one before? No, it was. It um, just come out. It was, yeah, the one before. And you and my ex-partner were drinking vodka and listening to this until three o'clock in the morning, wailing like babies. <laughs> until he suggested that John Lennon's son should also be shot. And then we um, thought it was probably best to head to bed. <laughs> Go to bed now. <laughs> Jesus. Um, that, that's, but that's my, you know, that was my ex-partner, um, one of the great drama dra- dramatizers of all time and also an absolute angel. Um, but talking about this record in particular... In, and how I found my first listen. Absolutely mesmerised oh, by this God. album. God. For most it. of it, anyway. There's definitely some bits that falter. Okay, but I love that. Yeah, look, I mean, I mean, the title track is just magic. It's just absolutely beautiful. I mean, to start a song with Goddamn Manchild, <laughs> I'm like, that's... All right, cool. <laughs> I'm in. <laughs> um, and that, that line, you know, like, why wait for the best when I can have you or, or if I can have you? Yeah. And then she goes into you. Um, that's just, yeah, it's beautiful. It's, that's, that's the storytelling that I like. And that's the, the kind of, that's the kind of observation of relationships that I really enjoy. Yeah. What, what, I, what I do find is that I, I found by the end of Mariner's Apartment Complex that I'm kind of waiting for something more to happen and that I'm just getting the same thing. Uh, maybe with a few extra harmonies stacked on. And then I get to Venice Bitch, which goes for nearly 10 minutes. And I'm like, okay, literally, when is this going to change? When will this up, go up anywhere? So it's extremely bloated. <laughs> but I also, what you were talking about in terms of the freedom that she was able to experience on this record for the first time, I think is a really special thing. And I, I'm glad that she felt that. And, and it really feels like she didn't have any rules around this stuff and she wasn't trying to drown her voice in reverb the whole time like yeah. she has on past records. And I think it's a more luscious and sort of sophisticated take on that Americana that she's she's brought to, to the albums before um, that I maybe haven't connected with as much. But, yeah, I, for most of this record, and, and I'll, go, I'll talk more later about what I thought about the rest of the album, but, you know, it starts gorgeous. It just drags on a bit long. But that's her. That's her. She's dramatic and and lengthy and <laughs> as a human being. if you think that about this album, you should listen to Blue Bannisters then. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> <laughs> I think, though... Yeah, that's kind of what my text fan. You go. I'm interested to know, were you surprised by her songwriting on this and the level of um, 
like intimacy and vulnerability that she brings to it given that your perception of her was that she was she played a character do you think she's playing a character on this album no this doesn't feel like a character this feels much more authentic and personal it's still you know like i was saying it's still extremely observational and it's not necessarily all about her which i actually think is quite endearing for a pop star as well to do a record that is not so introspective and is actually willing to talk about the wider world. Yeah. Um, but this definitely feels like a very personal take on what's happening in the wider world and how it relates to her and, and the people around her. Um, yeah, so I definitely felt that that authenticity and vulnerability that I maybe haven't felt on on the past records, hence my, hence my lack of interest overall. Yeah, I feel, for me, I feel like she lets her guard down on this album. And what's interesting to me is she's always struck me as an artist who I thought would be perceived as being quite political, but she wasn't really until maybe the album before and then very much so on this album. And maybe yeah. that plays a part into the fearlessness of this record and finally embracing herself without a character. This is a very like starkly personal album and one that really was almost a middle finger to the critics who had often said that she was playing a character and criticised her for that. Mm. And there's also a lot of confusion on this album too as to where that came from because I don't think Lana has felt that she was playing a character. as much. And I'm a big fan and I feel that she was with the first few yeah. records. But I think that a lot of the criticism that was handed to her early in her career... Early on in her career, a lot of it was unfounded, but she's definitely received some criticism that's worthwhile. I love the way that Lana understands none of it. <laughs> <laughs> is is that not part of her endearingness, though? The, the fact that there is division even in the community of fans as to just how much of a character she is yeah. and just how much of it is herself and what of it is dramatised. That's kind of part of the beauty of who Lana is and the way that she makes music is... She she kind of weaves in and out of of sort of grandiosity quite impressively. Yeah, and you sort of you're sort of looking back and second guessing yourself as to like where she's actually at in the middle of a song and in and in a moment. Um, and I think that's a really a really special thing. I think it's really amazing. And yeah, I think as this album goes on, it just gets better and better. Um, you know, once we finally get to do in time and we actually get a beat behind something for once, um, it, it really goes into a nice little sort of, you know, roller coaster of emotions. And then you head into Love Song, which is much more sort of, you know, it works really well after that slightly brighter moment. And yeah. I think this definitely feels very authentic and, and musically is really, is really gorgeous as well. What I love about some of these songs, and Love Song is one of them, she will give you the longest chorus you have ever heard. You're getting the pre-chorus, the chorus, the post-chorus, a bridge. Like some songs you're at like a minute 50 and you have, you're not even onto the second verse yet. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> An absolute queen of meandering she is. <laughs> There's another feature on this album that I think is um, really interesting compared to what I had perceived her as before this. And it, it probably comes into that idea of it being really authentic and a, a really... Um, personal take on what's happening in the world is the amount of sort of pop culture references that are in there that, you know, that they have been smattered around prior. Um, but I I haven't heard it 
quite as sort of forthright as I have on this this album. Yeah. You know, they almost felt like an escapism in the early days of Lana, um, an escapism back to that sort of like American dream, everything is golden yeah. kind of era. Um, and and this feels much more, you know, even just from the name dropping and stuff that you, you hear smattered throughout it, this feels much more connected to the world in 2019 than the records before, which had been sort of an escapism for not just Lana, but her fans as well. Well, I think she had a fascination with the American dream and the fame that came with it. She chased, she was someone who chased fame and then basically got eaten by fame in a way. She she And now yeah. she completely retreats from it. But it's interesting yeah. that she still holds America in high regard. Like American symbolism has been all through her work, everything from the flag to JFK to Coca-Cola. It's all weaved through it. And there's a certain admiration and also fear of it. And I think this record shows her realising that that's crumbling. And she is trying to grapple with who she is as the country that she loves and the world that she loves is ultimately burning. Like the the motif of fire is all through this, this record and particularly on The Greatest, it captures that time so beautifully where it's like we have this president who's meant to, the president's meant to be a symbol for the country, but clearly Donald Trump is not a symbol to most people in the country because he actively opposes their views and fights against it. On the other hand, you've got climate change that's ravaging California at that point in terms of the fires. And then you've got Kanye, who was an idol to Lana at one point, kind of supporting Donald Trump, spreading some um, very questionable information as he's done so this week as well. Um, And she's like, I don't know if you feel the same way, but I kind of feel like I'm defined by the things I love in some way in terms of artists, um, countries, friends, obviously. And when those things start to crumble or they start to fail you, I'll take the example of Kanye, who was one of my great idols. When they start to fail you, you start to question yourself and your values. And that's what I see Norman effing Rockwell doing. It's Lana grappling with her own identity as the thing she loves crumbles around her. That's um, an amazing, an amazing way to think about this album. Um, yeah, it definitely feels like that. It's almost like the things that anchor you, the things that have gotten you through, you know, times of turmoil, sort of cr- all crumbling all at once as well is a very difficult thing to go through. I mean, even, you know, and, and we try and keep this, um, this a very, you know, non-topical podcast but we're recording this in the week that the Rex that Rex Orange County's been accused of sexual assault yeah six counts and you know Rex is one of my all-time favorite yeah. artists and that's been an absolutely yeah. devastating thing to discover this week and I just feel so awful for the victims and um for, for the victim and and when that kind of thing happens you really do start to get very introspective about what you have considered to be good in this world yeah and what you've considered to be you know, a positive influence and things that have soundtracked really important moments in your life. And then you find out that, you know, there's this this sinister side to it all. But maybe that's something we need to learn as part of the human condition is that, you know, not even the most perfect things in your life, even the most idyllic things in your life are not 100% perfect. Yeah. And we've been living in this world in the last decade where things have been 
you know, and, and I don't want to sound like a boomer, but, you know, shit looks way better on Instagram than it is. There's a lot of <laughs> yeah. gritty to life. And and maybe Lana's kind of worked that out on this album a little bit that, you know, all the the shiny veneer of the things that she held dear. Yeah. It's not all as it seems. And she wraps that up so perfectly on the final song and says, hope is a dangerous thing for a woman like me to have, but I have it. And you know, I have it. you, it's, <laughs> she's obviously a person who's like quite empathetic, like myself. And I put a lot of value into um, like my the artist that I love's opinions and stuff. And I can't separate the artist from the art. And I think that's a kind of optimism mm. that she brings up. And I know that you're the same as well. Um, so it's it's interesting to see that play out over a record and then for her to sum it up after she has visions of California burning and her love life going to shit and people treating her terrible and she ends this album on hope is a dangerous thing for a woman like me to have like but I, but have I got it, it but I've got it <laughs> <laughs> and isn't that really nice because I think there's probably a bit of a, um, a misconception from some people that Lana's a bit of a sort of sad sack almost artist and I've definitely thought that from time to yeah. time but um you know, you do get the you do get the intention that she is an optimist and that she is is extremely disappointed and empathetic when things do go wrong and and nowhere is that more prevalent than on this record. So yeah, she says wow, what a beautiful it, fucking dive. I know we're getting quite quite emotional. I just want to read out a quote that yeah. she says that sums up Please. what you've just said. She says, the president is a reflection of the culture. The culture is a reflection of our relationship with ourselves. And of course, nature is our great reflector and equalizer. So she kind of, of, I guess, feels like she can't define herself without considering the things that are defining the culture. She has an interesting relationship with the culture. (laughs) I don't know if you know about her (laughs) question for the culture. (laughs) Instagram post, which was... Oh, she ba- oh wait I remember I vaguely remember this <laughs> when she Tell me again. T- she kind of <laughs> did this terrible um, essay that was basically comparing the way that she oh the essay there were points yes. in it points were made and some good points were made but the way <laughs> she tied it back to solely black artists in hip hop um, was qu- questionable and starts it with yeah. question for the culture. <laughs> <laughs> question for the culture <laughs> Lana the old- I feel like there's a lot of those moments with Lana where it's like Lana <laughs> there is so many Why? somebody who has followed her and loved her for years I am constantly yeah. defending her and I gave up my job of defending Kanye to defend Lana Del Rey full time <laughs> <laughs> from one to another <laughs> <laughs> the pay's not as good. Flop stars. I think this is quite an obvious game, but I've called it sad fall gal pop. So I don't know Makes if that's sense. the way you say it. Makes sense. So I'm putting up songs from this album um, against all your classic sad girl pop artists. I hate that term, by the way. But yep. um, it was... Like women can't be emotional in pop music? All right. Yeah, and as soon as Calm I looked down, up everyone. the playlist, there was not one... Um, male artist in it because they're allowed to be sooky little (laughs) bitches but women aren't but anyway we're leaning into it because this is our problematic problematic episode stereotypes (laughs) Um, the first one is The Greatest versus All Too Well by Taylor Swift 10 minute version 10 minute version 
Wow, what a difficult one. I think I think, you know, compared to Venice Bitch, which is almost ten minutes, um yeah. all too well definitely does a lot more in ten minutes than Venice Bitch does. So I was kinda of hoping you put the two long ones up against each other. <laughs> but if we're gonna compare it to the greatest I almost did that. I did almost do that. <laughs> <laughs> Would have been unfair though, I think. Um we'll talk about Venice Bitch in a second, but yeah, the greatest uh, the greatest is one of my favourite songs on the album and I think really ties everything together quite nicely sort of towards the middle, but I think All Too Well is a masterstroke of songwriting. Um, and I, you know, a, a song that fans have wanted for so long and finally got and it was everything and more that we wanted. So I'm going to go with All Too Well by Taylor Swift. Yeah, I thought I saw that happening. But these are two of my favourite songs of all time. I mean, All Too Well, even before mm. the 10-minute version. Um And I think Lana and Taylor are two of the best songwriters of our generation and we're about to see that culminate on, um, what is it, Snow on the Beach, Beach on the Snow, Snow on the Beach on Midnight, on Taylor Swift's Midnights. Um, But The Greatest for me is just one of my favourite songs of all time. And one of those, you know there's songs, some songs that were written pre-COVID where I'm like, you knew what was coming. (laughs) Because you listen to them now. And Premonition. They're, they're so apt and the greatest is one of them because it just says, like, yeah. I miss New York and I miss the music. Me and my friends, we miss rock and roll. I want shit to feel just like it used to when I was doing nothing the most of all. Like, that's just... That's the, that's oh. 2020 in a nutshell, that verse. And I'm like, how Literally. did she write that? But I think, yeah. The- well, she clearly knew back... She clearly knew with everything that was going on in the world at the time that it was all going to end in some big crescendo and a big boom yeah. at some point. And it did. And she, she you know... And it did. It, it really, really did. And, and I hadn't even thought about it in this way that everything was just so fucking chaotic. And then, boom, we're all locked up. And I think there's almost like... It's almost been, it was almost necessary. We've come out of it slightly better people, like 1% better people. <laughs> I know. Vaguely. Lessons were not learnt like they should have been. <laughs> no. I love about the greatest particularly too, and I love this about Lana in general, that she'll make these really profound statements and have this song that basically sounds like Frank Sinatra's like My Way. It sounds like a swan song. And then <laughs> yeah. she just kind of gradually loses interest and then ends with, oh, the live stream's almost on. And then these guitars just kind of waft off like, oh, on to the next thought. I'll daydream for a bit. <laughs> it's amazing, isn't it? It's almost like the song has absolutely no no crescendo, no climax, no, you know, it doesn't, ra- doesn't wrap up. And I kind of like the unease of that. You know? Whereas Frank Sinatra was like, big band, like, let's get the horns in. Like, if this is going to be my funeral song and I'm going out this way, let's make it mighty. She just like, Peter's off. Do it. <laughs> <laughs> the next guy, the next pair up is Venice Bitch versus Billie Eilish when the party's over. Oh, that's a really, really, really hard one. Um, look, look, Venice Bitch is be- is beautiful, but I do think it does meander a bit too much, and I don't really. It, it could be more concise, but I know you know. We're talking about Lana Del Rey; she doesn't need to be if concise. If you took a hacksaw to it, though, and, and just lean chopped in. it at three and a half minutes, chop it down to a nice three thirty. I think, yeah, very doable. <laughs> um, it was the old days with the cart machines where you'd sort of snip the tape to chop stuff together. You know, back in the seventies and eighties, you know, <laughs> this would just be so simple to do. Um, but when the party's that. over is, <laughs> when the party's over is sort of, um, you know, it, it's sort of second to second only to Ocean Eyes for me for Billy 
you know, in, in this space, in this super Really? Is Oceanize your number one? Simple space. Yeah. Uh, it's still unbeatable for me. Really? It's still unbeatable. Yeah. Uh, you know, everything I wanted, I suppose, is up there as well. But I just think there's there's something just so beautiful about the simplicity and the, the fact it was so early for her, um, you know, it was the earliest Ocean Eyes. I just think that's really something quite pure about it that makes me still come back to it. Um, but, yeah, but when the party's over, it's also up there. And I think compared to Venice Beach, I'll definitely be putting that on more. So, yeah, unfortunately, as much as I'm enjoying this album, it's still going to be the other sad girl. Yeah, you said you enjoyed it, and now you're just just choosing every other song that's not it. <laughs> <laughs> These have been two quite hefty pair-ups. So, like, when the party's over and all too well, it's massive um, kind of pop giants in a way. You know, um, yeah. when the party's over, I had never heard it until Cub Sport covered it on, like, version. Yeah. <laughs> I'd literally <laughs> never heard it. <laughs> because I was a big Billie Eilish denier for a long time. Um, and then I heard them do it and I was like, wow, this is a this is a song. And then I saw her do it live <laughs> and I was like, holy shit. Like, this is such an emotional yeah. sucker punch. Um, so it's definitely a big competition for me. But Venice Bitch... I love so much and I love the vibe that she creates and I love her her yeah. melodies and her songwriting. So I've got to go with Venice Bitch, but like that by an by a hair. By, by the hair of my chin. Next one is Mariner's Apartment Complex versus Florence and the Machines Never Let Me Go. Ooh, this is hard. This is a very hard one. Um, look, Never Let Me Go, I mean, big, beautiful, sprawling. I mean, this is a deserved matchup. Florence and Lana, in, in my mind, at least in this era of Florence, had a lot to sort of come in common. And actually, there's probably some parallels to be drawn across both of their careers where I feel like the, the most recent Florence song was a, a step away from that escapism and more, more introspective and more about real world kind of events yeah. as well, more sort of aware of the world around us. There's probably some sort of comparisons to be made there. Um, that said... Um, Mariner's apartment complex is probably, without giving away my favorite already, it's probably one of my one of my top two um, on the album. I think it's just like it, it, it's perfectly it's so it's so beautiful and intimate, but it still steps the kind of the, the melodic side up a little bit. So it's going to be Lana for me. How good's that first line too? Like you took my sadness out of context at the Mariner's apartment complex. What is out of the control. Mariner's apartment complex? It doesn't even matter. You already Fuck like knows. her ability to just like... You know where you are. Yeah. She just made it exactly. up. Exactly. <laughs> Do you think she did make it up? Should we see? Probably. Let's have a where look. Where is Mariner's apartment complex? Because one lucky listener is going to win a night at the Mariner's apartment complex. <laughs> <laughs> it's a real place in Marina Del Rey. It is. In Venice Beach. There you go. It doesn't look very yeah. nice. There's a series of apartments right on the water. Yeah, we, you know, when you're paying for places on the water, you're paying for the location. Location, location, Not the location. You're absolutely right. Location, like <laughs> That show is coming back in, in Australia next year. Location, location, location. It's been off the air for about 10 years and it's back. You'll all be pleased to know. Um, cool. So well, Flop Stars Road like- Trip. I mean, we have been on holiday for the last two ep- episodes. Um, we, can, we can take it to the Mariner's Apartment Complex later in the can season. Can you believe how good there. that would be? <laughs> Oh, I've got to do it. I've got to do it. 
<laughs> if we can get the budget, so we, we will again. do on location for every yeah for every episode. Remember our first season, we were sponsored pretty much every episode by various um, businesses that we made up halfway yeah, through the episode, and they never paid us. Remember. <laughs> Never paid us. Never saw the receipts. We could have gone to France last week for David Guetta. Sorry, back on track. So you chose, you chose Mariner's apartment complex. Yeah. What about you? Yeah, I'm also choosing Mariner's apartment complex. I only yeah. chose Never Let Me Go because I thought it was the best matchup for a Lana Del Rey song, but it's probably not one of my favorite um, Florence and the Machine songs. But Lana Del Rey's Mariner's apartment complex feels like the essence of the album. And I think it was one of the very early songs that her and Jack worked on. So they obviously hooked onto a vibe. Um, so Mariner's yeah. Apartment Complex for me. Pour moi. Uh, Pour next moi. one is Norman Effing Rockwell, the title track, versus Liability mm-hmm. by Lord. Two artists that oh. you've been quite critical of in the past. And oh, I wouldn't say some of your words. Word. I would say in some of my words is the word. Um, look, you, this is probably the hardest one of the lot of them because I feel like there's a lot of similarities to be to be drawn as well. And, you know, you get to the point of not wanting to judge, you know, such personal statements from both of them. You don't want to judge, you know, between the two. But, you but know, you we're can. doing a pretty cool pop music podcast and we will. Um, <laughs> it, oh, this is so hard because I feel like I'm freshly affected by Norman Rockwell, but I kind of want to go yeah. with Lord because it's such a masterstroke of a song. Um but I just, I just don't know. I'm, I'm really going to struggle. I think I'm just going to have to. I think I'm going to have to go Norman Rockwell though, because it sort of. I think I got sucker punched by it more than I did the first time I heard Liability. So therefore, it's Lyle wow. again. Where are yeah. you with your relationship with Lord right now? Not your personal um, relationship. Open, open to new ideas. <laughs> <laughs> it's complicated. <laughs> It's complicated. Yes, that's what I would change it to. It's complicated. This is such a hard one for me. Isn't this episode just showing how much of a sook I am, really, when it comes to yes. pop music? I'm quite sook. Absolutely it is. Um, um, oh, I don't know. Norman Effing Rockwell, bar the um, expletives, sounds like the kind of song that like my grandma would have put on the record player and loved it. You know, like it's a real old crooner, singer-songwriter song. I guess Liability is too, in a way. Um, Yeah. This is so hard. It's so hard. I think just because I think it hits a little bit harder and is a little bit more vulnerable, I'm going to go Liability by Lord. Bang! Boom. Game over. Done. Game. Two for Lana from you, three for Lana yep. for me, which is pretty good. Flop stars. Let's <laughs> talk about what the critics had to say about this album because Lana has had a very patchy history with the critics. She's often fired back at them. And this time around, they all got on board. Rolling Stones called it one of the best albums of all time. Pitchfork named it the best yeah. album of the year. Um... And basically the praise was just unanimous for it. I want to know, do you think now that that praise was justified or do you think it's still a little bit overrated when it comes to calling it something like the best album of all time? One of the best albums. I I think it's always, you're playing with fire sometimes, 
sort of placing something in the halcyon of albums of all time when something is so topical and current, it's yeah. it's always a little bit of a difficult one because you're so affected by how it speaks to the moment that maybe when you've got a few years hindsight on it and when society has moved on and when the topics being discussed on the album are no longer or are no longer as prevalent, you kind of listen back and look back on it and you, you wonder whether it affects you as much. So I, I think possibly a bit premature on best albums of all time. That said, yeah. definitely one of the best albums of the year and I completely understand that and I think the depth and the breadth of it um, are definitely worth worth that title of, of the best one of the best albums of 2019. Um, yeah. But, but yeah, I think I think all times a bit of a stretch. Um, and I'm trying to be as like unbiased in my past opinions on Lana as possible. But I don't. Yeah, I just think that's a bit bit much. You know. If if you this is putting you on the spot, but what's the first album that would come to mind if I was like put uh, an album from the last ten years in the conversation of the best album of all time? Lord Melodrama. Really. Yeah. Wow, I love to hear that. <laughs> it spoke to the moment. It spoke to the moment. It was, uh, and again, like it spoke to the moment, but it was also very classic in the same time. And it didn't just speak to the moment in in time. It spoke to the moment in Lord's time, and that is a moment that every person goes through. That sort of yeah. firsts of firsts of adulthood. Um, so yeah, I, I would absolutely put that album in there. Um, look at you trying to besmirch me. Um, <laughs> Lord's someone who I think you're right captures her moment not the world's moment. Whereas I think mm. Lana is very affected by the world. She really captures that moment and can't really completely like zone herself in. Whereas Lord goes and like will sit on a beach and reflect on her own feelings and be completely isolated yep. from the world. It's it's yep. interesting that the two artists often get grouped in together. But yeah, I suppose sonically that makes sense for them to be grouped in every now and then. But um, you know, Lord's definitely a bit more pop. But um, yeah. but yeah, in terms of like sort of thematics and and lyric wise, it's very two very different artists, two two people who are, you know, have created their spa- their lane in very un- yeah. very different ways from one another. Let's talk about Jack Antonoff because he mm. comes up on this podcast so often. He's behind. Yeah. Many of the great records by people like Carly, Lord, yeah. Lana. Mm. I don't know who mm. else has he done recently. St. Vincent, Taylor Swift, like so many yep. of them. But I just feel like the ultimate pairing is Lana and Jack. Like I think they're the OG. Yeah. What do you, how do you feel about that? And how do you feel in general about his production on Norman Effing Rockwell? I'm so intrigued, and we're recording this again. Um, we're recording this in the week that the 1975's Being Funny in a Foreign Language comes out, which is Jack Antonoff yeah. at the helm as well. Um, and, you know, I'm almost nervous about that because that's what Jack does to me. Jack makes me nervous about records because, and I think, I think this all started with Greenlight. He, was, he did Greenlight, didn't he? Um, yeah, yeah. Yeah, Lord. he did Greenlight. Yeah, so... I think this all started. I think correct. that's the first album he kind of produced in its entirety. Yeah, and for me, I think when he did Greenlight and when he did that record, that was the pinnacle. And I yeah. 
feel like I've always been waiting to feel the way Greenlight made me feel ever since, every time I see Jack on a piece yeah. of production. And I was a massive fun fan in 2012 as well, and I went to all the shows, and I, I thought the way that album was crafted was just so magical. And I think he's one of the great modern pop producers, but he doesn't always hit it for me. He doesn't yeah. always hit the mark. What he does do is he always creates something that I don't think anyone else could have made. But whether that's a good thing or not is, is not always clear for me. Yeah. I think he talked about um, working with Lana. And obviously, Lord is somebody who's extremely considered. She likes to release a body of work like every four years and it's kind of very tight, very cohesive. He said, like, the funny thing about Lana Del Rey is you could be recording that day and then she has put it on Instagram before you even knew that it was going to go up (laughs) and you're not sure what project she's ever working on. There's, like, this just wild spontaneity to the way she does everything. And I don't know, I think she's had some kind of impact on him because I've seen his work over the past few years becoming more and more free-flowing and more lucid and he's less of a everything needs to be tight and i guess we saw it too with folklore and evermore and his involvement in that that they could just pull a record together and not overthink just dropping it straight away which i think is a is a great impact that lana's had let's do another game stars so we've talked a lot about how lana loves her pop culture references loves to reflect the time that she's in loves to name Mm. drop people um, so I'm going to do, does Lana mention this famous person in her music? So you need to tell oh, me, me hard. whether or not she has ever name dropped these people. Okay. I've just got to, I've got to take myself back to my first listen again because they all stood out to me at the time. And it has to be like a, you have, there has to be a lyric where they've mentioned it. You don't have to tell me the lyric, but that's the basis for okay. the game. The first okay. one is Norman Rockwell. Yeah, Norman Rockwell gets mentioned in Norman Rockwell, doesn't he? He doesn't. She oh, doesn't shit. mention him. <laughs> oh, God, I'm going to be terrible at this if I haven't even got that one right. So, yeah, now <laughs> I think about it. It doesn't really... I'm, I'm sitting there waiting for a mention. It doesn't happen. Damn it. <laughs> the next one is Kanye West. Oh, now, I'm, yeah, obviously going through... She was obviously going through a very difficult time with her relationship to Kanye at that point. Um... Does he actually get verbally mentioned? I'm going to say no. She's classier than that. She says in The Greatest, Kanye West is Fuck. blonde and gone. <gasps> I do remember this lyric. <laughs> Fuck. Blonde Zero and from gone. two. You're doing a shit job. Shit. All right. Next one is Next Barney one. and Friends. Yes, this feels right. This is a commentary on Children of America in, 2020, <laughs> in 2019. Yeah. Barney and Friends get mentioned. She's never mentioned Barney and Friends. Fuck. <laughs> Where'd you pull that one from? <laughs> just just straight out of here. Straight out of the noggin. <laughs> I love that we both said noggin. Damn the it. The next one is Amy Winehouse. Amy Winehouse. Uh, yeah, yeah, I'm gonna yeah, I'm gonna say Amy gets a run here. So, yeah. Yeah. You're correct. In her song Get yes. Free, she name drops Amy. Yes. Um the next one is Whitney Houston. Oh. Does Whitney get a mention? Jesus. Um yeah, 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 I'd say Whitney gets a mention at some point. In her song Get Free, she says for Amy and for Whitney. In, They're both in, in the, the same, same line. line. They both get it. Boom. One-two punch. 
Just get them both done. Just mention them both. Uh, the next one is Nicki Minaj. Oh, okay. What was Nicki doing in 2019? Um, this wasn't the Miley year, wasn't it? No, that was like three years before. Um, oh, what do it could I, be what do any of her songs, by the way. It's not... Oh, we're talking about any time. fine See, to... Oh, um, no, no, I don't think Nicki gets a mention in any Lana song. Not yet. You are correct. She's never had a mention. Yes. The I'm next one is Marilyn, really well. Marilyn Monroe. Marilyn absolutely gets a mention somewhere. I mean, the Americana woman. Yeah. <laughs> the Americana sense, woman <laughs> does get a mention on her song Body Electric, yes. where she says, Marilyn's my mother. Great. Better song than Marilyn Monroe and- by Pharrell Williams. <laughs> Just slightly. Next one is Kathy Griffin. I reckon Kathy Griffin gets a mention on this record because remember she did the Donald Trump severed the head Trump situation. Yeah. So I reckon she gets a run. She does not. Oh, fuck. Never Damn mentioned. It. Nah. That was your thinking behind that. Oh, wasn't it? That was your, that was your whole idea. Yeah, me off exactly. The about Trump detractors. Next one is James Dean. James Dean. Again, a classic, you know, from the Norman Rockwell days. Um, I mean, they're both old, so I just presume they're from the same day. Uh, somewhere in the late 1800s, early 1900s. Yeah, I reckon James Dean gets mentioned. He does. On Blue Jeans. Yes. She says it was like James Dean for sure. I um, knew that. I knew that one. <laughs> the final so one is... Lord. Nah, Lord doesn't get a mention. You're correct. Lord doesn't get a mention. Yes. You picked it up at the end. You were doing really I got bad better. at the start, but you got better. I got better. All right. When Norman Rockwell came up, I was wrong. You, I knew I was going to get you with that one. I, was, I chuckled <laughs> to myself in the shower when I thought of that <laughs> one. Ha, 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 ha. Ha 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 ha! <laughs> Throw me off scent. Three people I'm sharing a small room with at the Hilton heard me. Um, <laughs> Flop stars. Hit me with your best songs, your worst songs, and your score Woo! out of ten. And I also want to know: Would you listen on your own accord? Yeah. Okay. Interesting. Um, I want to shout out a couple of other songs. I think Cinnamon Girl is really lovely because it goes quite gritty at one point. I think Doing yeah. Time is probably the biggest bop on the album. Um, but for me, I'm just going to go straight back to the title track. Norman fucking Rockwell is an absolutely beautiful song. I think it's so beautifully written and performed. Um, and when she heads into that weird sort of falsetto that could go anywhere, I think it's just a lovely, lovely song. So that's my favourite. Venice Bitch is my Love least favourite. I think that the synths are exhausting and the whole song favorite. is quite boring. And, I mean, oh with, and then, and then with, with three songs in, I'm like, finally, this is over. Then fuck it, it, happens, it comes on and... I'm like, when does this when does this pick up? Like, when does this get there? And then doing time eventually does. But yeah, it's Venice for me. Um, score out of ten. I mean, I mean, it's a really it's it's got to be an eight and a half, an eight and a half from me. I'm not going to go best album of all time, Rolling Stone level, but an eight and a half for Norman fucking Rockwell. I like that. I'm impressed. I'm happy. Yeah, I was I'm impressed. I'm now going to come into your episode um, with some optimism and an open mind. I was going to <laughs> yeah. um, come. Just and just be a grump the whole time and basically derail the episode. <laughs> Don't worry, I, I thought got. about that. I just thought I, I want to have an enjoyable rest of the season, and so if I if I dared to do that, you, you'd put me through hell for another seven episodes. So, 
For another seven episodes? What have I been putting you through hell? No. Oh, no. no, I mean for the remaining seven episodes of the season. <laughs> if the, or eight. I don't oh, know how many it. we're doing. I'm Hit me with your you best, with worst, and score. Um, fuck off. <laughs> best and worst. My best is the greatest. Is okay. probably yep. my favourite. Love Bartender, Love Cinnamon Girl, Love Hope is a Dangerous Thing, and Love Venice Beach. They're probably my favourites. And my least favourite would be Doing Time. Really? Yeah, I hate it. You know, it's a cover. I did know that, actually, by Sublime, originally. Sublime. (laughs) Yeah. You know what I will say about Doing Time? It definitely sticks out like a sore thumb. It's definitely... You know, it's it, bizarre. It, at least it's got a beat under it, but it just does not fit on the rest of the record in the, in the sort of imagery of it. And your score? Um, my score for this album is 10 out of 10. Can't get better it. for me. I love it. There's some melodrama it. just are really up there for me. But thank you. I enjoyed that. Thank you for letting me talk about Norman Effing Rockwell. I know that we're probably not going to get Lana on the podcast again for about three or four <laughs> seasons, but I enjoyed it. <laughs> Look, the beauty of this podcast and the beauty of music is diving into stuff that you maybe had one opinion about that maybe wasn't fully formed by actually diving into the art. And I think being able to do that and um, and it's a nice, it's a lovely thing. So thank you for putting me into the space. Don't expect that what I'm going to bring in a few weeks' time is anywhere near as poignant, um, but it's a great record. And so we'll do Nick's pick soon and get back to normal programming next week. I think it very much reflects both of our personalities yes. quite well. Opposite of sad bitch territory. <laughs> Yours is um, Kid we'll discovered Box 3. <laughs> Kids Box 3, yes! I've actually um, don't never forget to rate away and subscribe so the podcast. many times this week. Don't you dare. It's got to be a secret because we'll do some guessing on the Flop Stars podcast Instagram. Um, leave us a review. Follow us on the socials. Share the videos with your friends if you like us. Um, and share the podcast with your friends if they like pop music because we love doing this with you all the time. All right. See you next week, man, child. Aloha. Flop stars. <laughs>